Let me confess to you. I don't care how saintly you want to appear. And I don't care how sanctimonious you might want others to think of you. I don't care how holy and and spiritual you want to look. None of us enjoy coming under conviction of a sin in our lives that we don't want to give up. That's a fact. Now, if you are anything like me, (laughs) you internally fight that conviction. If you're anything like me, internally, you try to rationalize your sin. Internally, you want to explain it away. Internally, you want to try to justify it. And you're going to keep doing this until either you surrender or pay the consequences and then surrender. One way or the other, you're going to surrender if you're a child of God. You know why? Because God always wins. Don't even try it any other way. Take it from me. I give you first-hand experience, chapter and verse. As a matter of fact, I'm going to right now. (laughs) In the mid-70s, I graduated from seminary, and I was ordained to the ministry right there at St. Andrew's Cathedral in downtown Sydney, Australia. But I had a secret sin in my life. And the Holy Spirit would bring me under conviction again and again and again. Every time I pray, the Holy Spirit would bring me under conviction. You know what I did? I tried to explain it away. I bet you're dying to know what that was, weren't you? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm dying to tell you, but not yet. (laughs) I graduated from seminary. I went through the most rigorous examination, the most rigorous testing by dignified bishops and theologians, and and I was ordained to preach the gospel, but I was unfaithful to God with my money. Yeah, you heard me right. I was unfaithful to God with my money. God the Holy Spirit would bring me under conviction every time I prayed. And you know what my response was? I tried to educate the Lord about my circumstances. (laughs) I mean, I really tried to explanify things to the Lord in terms that He can understand. I really did. I did try. I mean, I tried to put things in perspective for the Lord. Truly. Here's how I did it. Lord, if I was a school teacher... I would be making $15,000 a year. That's how, it, how much it was back then. I did my homework, you see. <laughs> when I bargain with the Lord, I always do my homework. And I said, but now, as a curate in this parish, I'm making less than $5,000. But so in reality, Lord, I'm giving you more than $10,000 a year. <laughs> and the Lord says, okay, that's fine. Put the cash in there. Well, let me explain something else, Lord, that you may have just missed. If Elizabeth had gone back to teaching, our combined income would have been $20,000 a year, but my salary is still $5,000. So in reality, Lord, what I'm doing, I'm giving you $15,000 a year. Lord says, that's fine. Put the cash in there. Well, Lord... (laughs) 
If I'm giving you my energy, if I am giving you my time, and if I'm giving you my brilliant mind, I've always been modest. (laughs) Lord said, that's fine. Put the cash in there. You see, growing up in the Middle East, we bargained for everything. And and I really, back then when I was a young Christian, I thought I could bargain with the Lord. (laughs) I learned the hard way. You can't bargain with Jesus. He was born in the neighboring country. (laughs) Amen. And you know what? He's going to out-bargain you every time. (laughs) Don't try it. Take it from me. (laughs) Please hear me right on this one. I was happy to sing the songs. I was happy to pray the prayers. I was happy to serve in any way. I was happy to preach the Word of God, except for those sections about giving, which is the majority of the parables. But because I made a God out of money in my life, I was not willing to give back what God has already given me anyway. I was so preoccupied with my own needs that I had forgotten who is the one who provided all for all my needs. I was so preoccupied with the importance of what I was doing for God that I've tried to block the voice of God. I was so preoccupied with my public ministry that I refused to confess a private idol in my life. I was so preoccupied with how much I am sacrificing for God that I have tried to forget that the greatest sacrifice is obedience. Hear me right on this one. I am convinced, as surely as I'm standing before you right now, had I persisted in my disobedience to God, most likely I would not be here today, and most likely I would have impoverished my life, I would have impoverished my ministry, I would have impoverished my family, and I would not have this incredible worldwide ministry that God has given us. I'm convinced of that. When I finally confessed my sin, and I prayed to the Lord to give me a giving spirit, God more than answered my prayers. I want to tell you a few things about money. Listen to me carefully, please. Money is minted personality. What do I mean by that? Money is the distillation of your time and your energy and your labor. Money is not just something you give. That's a mistake people make. But money represents the way you spend your life. That's what really means. Money, therefore, is giving of yourself back to God. That's what you do when you give of yourself to the Lord through giving of your money. You know, there are preachers and ministers and heads of parachurch organizations forever pounding people. Give, 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 give. In fact, I read about a a country preacher in a small church. He was trying to get his congregation to understand the concept of storehouse tithing, and that you tithe to the Lord out of the gross. He really tried. He tried, and it's not working. Finally, he got up one Sunday and said, "Um, before we pass the offering plate, I don't want the person who stole the chickens from Brother Harvey's hen house to put any money in the offering plate. He said, because the Lord does not want money from a thief. Well, guess what? For the first time ever, 
When the plate went by, everybody gave. <laughs> What a clever guy. <laughs> That's not how it should be. I'm amazed at what people resort to to get the tight wads to give. I really am amazed. I am absolutely amazed. I just read the other day about the IRS official who called the church treasurer on the phone to inquire regarding the accuracy of a certain amount of money that one of the members claimed on his tax returns that he had given to the church. And the treasurer thought for a minute, and he said, you know, I really don't know because I don't have the records right in front of me. But I can tell you this, if he hadn't, he will. <laughs> But, you know, if, if you experience anything like I've been experiencing lately in the last few weeks, I mean, I must have 30 or 40 appeal letters in the mail. And all of them said, give now, we're desperate, we need it. And in fact, one of those appeal letters says, if we do not hear from you, Mr. Youssef, within the next 24 hours, we're going to close down the ministry. And you know what the sense of ludicrous in me says? I think he should. <laughs> Hear me right on this one. Never once, never once in the history of the Church of the Apostles or leading the way did we ever make such a statement. Never. Never. That's not the kind of God we worship. If God cannot get you to be faithful with the money that he had given you, what chance have we? <laughs> right? If God is having a hard time getting you and getting to you regarding money, I can tell you we will have Buckley's getting to you. No, no way. If God is not sufficient reason for you to give from what he had already given you, what makes us think that we can? We can't. In fact, I thought of some of our precious, generous givers when I read this story about Andrew Carnegie. Mrs. Carnegie was very fond of classical music, so that at the end of every year, Andrew Carnegie would pay all the shortfalls for the New York Philharmonic Society. And one day he said, look, I can't keep doing this year in and year out. Told the directors, he said, you need to go out, raise the half, and I'll give the other half. So within a few days, they called him. They said, Mr. Carnegie, we have met your request. We got the other half. He said, you see, I told you, you could raise that half from somebody else. He said, where did you get it from? They said, Mrs. Carnegie. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we have people like this in this church, <laughs> truly, who are tireless givers, and that is why God blesses them. Listen to me. God obligated himself to bless such a generous spirit. He really did. Listen, the fact that there are people out there who abuse this truth about God blessing the generous giver, it doesn't make it less truthful. And today I want to tell you that praise giving and money giving are a Siamese twins of a praising lifestyle. Why do I say that? Because praising God with your lips and praising God with your pocketbook are inseparable. Praising God with your words alone can be empty praise. 
unless it is confirmed with praising with your money. Praising God only with your mouth is hollow unless it is accompanied by giving up that which you value so much. I want to give you an example. King David wrote the Psalms that you read and enjoy, that we sing and we read, but David did not praise God just with words. He praised Him with His substance, and He gave His net worth, which would be equivalent to half a billion dollars today for the building of the temple. You see, they have to go together. What was David's motivation? I want you to turn to First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles 29. What is David's motivation? You know what he said? In verses 3 and 4 he said, it is a matter of personal devotion to God. You see, for David, singing praises to the Lord was not just mere words, but they were backed up with sacrificial giving. Listen to what he said, beginning at verse 14, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning at verse 14. Here's what David said. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Oh, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for the temple, for your holy name, it comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. You know what integrity here means? It means the connection between the heart and the mouth, that the two are in sync. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. What is David saying? Here's what David is saying. He's saying that your loyalty to God is expressed in your giving and in praise. He is saying that your loyalty to God is manifested when you give with your heart and praise with your lips. That your loyalty to God takes place both in words and in action. You know you're going to find the same principle in the New Testament. Because I know some people are going to say, well, that's Old Testament. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard. Let me tell you something. Abraham tithed before the law. Jacob tithed before the law. 400 years before the law. So I want you to listen to me. This is the absolute principle of the Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the very few first words, Paul talks about the collection 
But he did not get to 16, chapter 16, verse 1, until he spent 58 verses of chapter 15 talking about the resurrection and about heaven. He talks all these verses about the resurrection and about heaven. Then he comes in verse 1, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, and he said, now concerning the collection. He said, what's the two got to do with each other? You've just lifted us up to the highest heaven. Now you come and say concerning the collection. (laughs) You notice he left it to the last chapter, because I think if he brought it up, the first chapter of Corinthians, people would have gone to sleep. What is Paul saying? He's saying exactly what the Old Testament is saying. He is saying that heaven and giving are intertwined. He is saying that heaven and giving are interconnected. He is saying that giving and heaven are interrelated. He is saying that you cannot rejoice about the resurrection when you send very little and give little to the one who gave you everything. Hear me right, please. Some might be asking right now, why is there such an extrable link between praise and giving? I'm going to tell you why. Glad you asked me. In fact, there are three things I want to tell you very quickly. Number one, giving is a proof that you really believe the fact that God owns everything. You see, I hear this twaddle from evangelicals all the time. Everything I have is God's. Everything I have belongs to God. Okay, well, how much of that God got back? And then what they do after they make that kind of dribble, they go in and spend everything that God has given them on themselves and on their desires. No wonder we're in the spiritual mess we're in. Because that is a false acknowledgement that God owns everything. It's hollow. It's empty. It's fake. If you really believe with all your heart that God owns everything that you have, then ask yourself the question, how much of what God owns has He gotten back from you? I wanted to hear me right. Since I got you bleeding, might as well continue the operation. So I will keep going. I want you to listen carefully, though. The more you give to God the more proof you provide that you really believe that everything you have belongs to God. If a person is a taker and not a giver, if a person is a hoarder and not a sharer, take it from me, that person deep down believes that everything he has belongs to him, not to God. If you get angry when God brings you under conviction on the issue of giving, If you are tight-fisted and give only when they pressure you to give, thank God we don't do that. I want to tell you something. Chances are you don't really believe that God owns everything. The truth is, everything we have is really a loan from God. It's really what it is. It's a loan. You know, when you go and buy a house and you borrow money from the mortgage company... 99% of the price. You run around and say, well, that's my house. That's not. (laughs) It belongs to the mortgage company. Well, you don't believe me? Try not to pay two payments in a row. (laughs) And we'll see whose house it is. You see, God lends us everything, and he watches how we're going to manage it. 
Do we have the spirit of joyous giving? I believe the tithe, actually, let me tell you in all honesty, I believe the tithe is an excuse for not giving. And by the way, I practice what I preach. If you want to check that out, you can check with our finance department. I make no bones about it. I believe double tithe is what at least 23% is what the Jew did in the Old Testament. But I want you to listen to me, what I'm going to tell you. If you don't tithe, start at least with the tithe anyway. Giving is not only proof that you believe that God owns everything, but the second thing I want to tell you is this, that giving is a seed for further blessings. It's a seed for further blessings. Back in Genesis 8, God is the one who started the principle of sowing and reaping. That's not, I didn't make it up. Nobody made it up. God did it. And the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8, he confirms this principle. He affirms the biblical principle. Listen to what he says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But I want you to listen to the rest of this passage because I want you to underline several things, four things in number, just in one verse. God is able to make all grace, underline all grace, abound to you so that in all things, underline all things, and all times, underline all times, having all that you need, underline all you need, you will abound in generosity. I don't want you to miss this. Listen, this is not naming it and claiming it, blab it and grab it and holler it until you get it. No, 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 no. Listen, this is the Word of God. I am telling you what God said. As I said, because somebody perverts it, it doesn't make it less truth. God's desire for you, for His children, is abundance. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. God's desire for you, His child, is to abound in all things, not just materially, but in everything, in wisdom, in knowledge, in, in grace, and in love, and in mercy, in everything. You are the only one who can block God's desire for you. You're the only one who can do it. You know, there's an oriental legend that goes something like this. There was a potato farmer who decided to eat all the big potatoes and use the small ones for seed. And he did this for a few years. And then he ended up with potatoes smaller than marbles. It's what you sow. It's what you reap. You're going to eat the big potatoes and sow the little ones? Well, you can acknowledge all day long that everything you have belongs to God, that God owns everything. You can intellectually believe that God will multiply the seed that you sow, but until you actually give and test God as He said do it, you are not living out what you claim to believe. Listen carefully, please. Neither praise alone nor giving alone is enough to put you in a position of receiving God's blessings. But consecrated praise 
and devoted giving together are going to place you under God's shower in the sky that He wants to place over you. Giving and praising acknowledge God's ownership. Giving and praising is the seed for further blessing. And the third thing I want to tell you today is this. Giving feeds praising, and praising feeds giving. Not only that praise and giving feed on each other, but they encourage others to do the same. When David generously gave, others were motivated to give. When the Macedonians, who out of their desperate need, generously gave, the Corinthians were motivated to give. Just think of the impact that each one of us can have upon those who are desperate to hear the gospel. Our praise and our giving produces hunger for God in the lives of the lost. Our praise and our giving are the greatest impetus to world evangelism. But I'm aware of the fact that this message probably is premature to some of you. Those of you who have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, those of you who have not received the gift of salvation and eternal life, this is a premature message for you. You know why? Because God, before He wants what's yours, He wants you. The good works, the Apostle Paul said, is for those who have already committed their lives to Jesus Christ. You don't do good works to get to God. No, no, sir. It is by grace, by faith alone, lest anyone will boast. But the Apostle Paul said that he had predestined you unto good works once you come to Jesus Christ. So it is my prayer today that if there's one person here who have never committed their life to Jesus Christ not receive the greatest gift of all of eternal life, that this day be the day. Shall we pray? If the Spirit of God has spoken to you, and you want to commit your life to Christ, you want to receive the gift of eternal life, you know that without Jesus you're lost, and you're not going to heaven, then you can pray with me this prayer. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for salvation that is offering me. I repent of my sins. Receive me into your kingdom. Father God, you have given us everything. You really have. And we, in some foolish moments, days, weeks, or even years, we think that is ours. Help us to discover the folly of that thinking and help us to open our hearts, our pocketbooks, our lives to you because you want us to abound in all things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.